I just had this thought um, that I want to share with you. Uh, this isn't the message, but this is just to tell you that, that God knows that you're here today. God knows that you're here today. That with all that's going on around the world, and there are some major things going on around the world, right here in the park, in the parking lot of Cornerstone Wesleyan Church, that God knows that you are here today. And so what, what I'd like you to say, just so we can let that truth sink in, let's say, God knows I'm here. Ready? Three, two, one. God knows I'm here. And God knows what you are going through. Let's say that. One, two, three. God knows what I'm going through. One more time. God knows what I'm going through. So God knows that you're here and God knows what you are going through. And it's no accident that you're here. Maybe you came here and you weren't aware that we were having church outdoors. That's okay. Um, maybe you're here and you're thinking, I'd love to be inside in the, in the air conditioning. That's okay too. Maybe this is your first time here. That's okay too, because God knows that you're here and God knows what is going on in your life. And he is glad that you've chosen this morning to be meeting with him around the table and to be meeting with your brothers and your sisters. So I'd like you just to have a look around, just to see all the folks who are here. You know, you aren't, you aren't on your own. You, you are surrounded by people who care for you and who love you, whether they know you or not. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, yeah, for Church Outdoors. I thank you for uh, for fun and for games. Thank you for uh, um, Scott and Noah's incredible marshmallow throwing skills. That was incredible. And uh, Lord, I thank you that uh, that we are here that you know that we're here, that you are here. That's the most important thing, and that you are ready to meet us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, yeah, before we start this morning's teaching, um, it's not often I, I, I get to do this, but this is one of my pastoral honors and responsibilities. Um, so I've been asked to make a public announcement to our Cornerstone family, um, and so if I could have Karen Rebuka come up and join me, please, this would be great. Let's welcome her up to the stage. Yeah. Now, as we know, uh, Karen has been a, uh, a faithful part of Cornerstone for many years, along with her husband, Scott. And uh, I, I have this written out because I don't want to get it wrong, because um, and as you will hear now. And... Uh, as the Wallaces, we've been blessed with three wonderful girls, and uh, the Re Rebukers have been blessed with three wonderful lads, Kai, Noah, and Jesse. So, partly as a, a joyful announcement, but also as a prayer request, because how old are you, Karen? 48. Okay, so Karen's 48 years old, okay? She doesn't look a day over 47. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I'm here to let you guys know that Karen and Scott are expecting their fourth child. Mm. And early scans, and they are early, um, seem to indicate that it is possibly a girl, which is pretty exciting. Uh, so, uh, so just so that we can get into a, a state of mind where we can be praying for her, for her and for Scott, because, of course, 
everything is going to change in about however many months' time. But um, how do you and Scott feel about this news, Karen? We're very nervous, but we're overjoyed. Okay, nervous. Are you more overjoyed or more nervous? <laughs> overjoyed. Okay, overjoyed. Good. And uh, so I, I'm going to ask you to do a bit of maths here. Uh, when, when what we think is a girl is 18 years old, how old are you going to be? <laughs> really um, old. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Uh, I guess it would be 67. 67 years. Okay. Okay. She said, "I'm only joking." If you're 67, 67 isn't really old. But let's let's wish Karen and Scott congratulations, and uh, yeah, you can share. You, you can shake a hand, give her a hug afterwards. But uh, this is great news. But also, uh, yeah, we should be keeping them in our prayers because this is, uh, well, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, so now on to the message. My uh, earliest memory of being called out. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been called out, but um, not in the same way that you know, Karen was just called out, but called out on something that you were doing um, and you were embarrassed and you were ashamed. There's that moment of being called out. Well, my earliest memory of being called out, I was at Sunday school in Heath Evangelical Church in Wales. Uh, and I have so many great memories at that church. Um, I was in Sunday school. I was sat around a rectangular table. I think I was at one end of the rectangular table, much like those rectangular tables there. My Sunday school teacher was at the other. She had her dark hair. It was, it was in a bob. Um, she wore glasses, and I seem to remember that she had a gap between her two front teeth, or her te- front teeth may have been protruding. Anyway, there's something about the teeth that I remember, and in Sunday school, I was being witty or funny, uh, at least I thought I was, and I think I was poking fun at a fellow classmate, uh, which was a girl, as probably actually being a brat. Uh, and anyway, my mild-mannered Sunday school teacher... Um, Apparently, it had enough of me on that day, and she called me out on my attitude and my behavior in a very gentle, lovely way, but I was mortified, and I can still remember that moment. I'm 43 now, uh, but I can still remember that moment of being singled out for attention. I wasn't expecting it, and I was absolutely mortified. Uh, Now, I think if someone had been... um, maybe filming that moment, I think what I would have seen is a young lad, chastened, red-faced, quiet, looking at the floor. I was like this, and all of a sudden, I was like this. I was saying nothing, and I was, I'd, I'd have probably seen a young lad wishing the floor would swallow him up. So, have you ever been called out on something? That moment in that spotlight, the moment with the sinking heart and the cold sweats and the thinking, oh man, there is no way out of this. Genesis 18 verse 9 says this, Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Okay, so I want you to have that in your mind. Okay, so Sarah's outside the tent listening. Now, it says, verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were getting old. They were getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself and said, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this wonderful delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, 
Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, No, you did laugh. That's Genesis 18, verse 9. Okay, so let me come clean. Karen and Scott are not expecting a child. They are not pregnant. Okay, I want this to be heard by everyone. Karen and Scott are not pregnant. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I told Wendy this on, in the car yesterday, and I held on a bit longer than I should have done, and she legitimately pulled the car over and smacked me on the arm numerous times when I said I was only joking. Uh, so I didn't want to leave you guys hanging too much. I don't want to mob, okay? But that news that you just heard and those feelings that you felt, that mix of feelings, this might help you to get into the heart and mind of Abraham and Sarah when they first heard that they were pregnant. And they were considerably older than Karen and Scott, and this was their first child. Genesis 17, 17 says that Sarah would have been 90 years old. This awkward exchange that we read in Genesis 18 comes at the tail end of what was a nice visit. You see, Abraham was enjoying the shade of some oaks as any self-respecting nomad would have done in those days. And then these three strangers show up. And though we find out later that one of them or perhaps all three of them is actually God, at this point, they just appear as humans. And as the usual rule of hospitality in the ancient Near East, Abraham invites them in for a cuppa except that the cuppa is actually a full meal, which involves Sarah, his wife, kneading and baking some fresh bread and a calf being slaughtered to make some nice fresh veal. So this wasn't a five minute, why don't I just maybe come in and say hi? It wasn't that sort of uh, visit. Because in the harsh lands of the wilderness, hospitality might have meant the difference between life and death. And then we read Verse 8, then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf that he'd prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they sat under the tree. Like we said, it was all very friendly, all very amicable. However, we then have this exchange in verse 10 where one of the strangers who's called the Lord, meaning it is God, says in verse 10, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah hears this because she's hiding around the corner and she starts to laugh. Verse 13, but the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. She said, I did not laugh. And she said this because she was afraid, but he replied, no, you did laugh. So she laughs, and then God asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Sarah then, then, then speaks to the Lord, either through, the, the, through the, um, yeah, the wall of the tent, or she comes in, and she says, I did not laugh. Then the Lord replies, yes, you did, and then the story moves on. That's the end of the exchange. And as I was reading this kind of awkward exchange, uh, something stood out really to me in that moment. Why did the Lord embarrass Sarah in that moment why didn't he just let her have her moment pretend that he didn't hear her white lie and just move on and I have a hypothesis why he didn't just 
let it go. Now, I don't know if this is true, but this is why I think that God did not let Sarah get away with her insistence that she did not laugh. And I don't think it's just because she lied and lying is bad, as it says in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, sure, that's probably part of it. But I think there's more going on here. So here's what I think might be going on. I think that God might have called her out on her lie because he wanted to call her out of using lying as a coping mechanism. Okay, this is the truth that I want us to hear this morning. And if you're a note taker, then you can write this down. What God calls us out on, he wants to call us out of. What God calls us out on, he wants to call us out of. And if God is calling you out on something, usually it's a behavior or an attitude. It's because he wants to call you out of it. He wants to lead you into freedom. And so in that tent by the Oaks of Mamre, Sarah experiences the fear of vulnerability, a fear of being exposed. And in my mind, um, I imagine that a long lifetime of the pain of childlessness had led to her building walls of protection around her heart and around herself. And now there are these three strangers who are showing up and they're saying that this thing that she'd been heartbroken over so many times, this thing that maybe she'd... Um, managed to eventually come to terms with i.e. that she'd not have children is now being dangled in front of her like like a carrot and if this is a joke then it's a joke of the cruelest kind and so she laughed in and in order to cover up her laugh she lied now at first glance this interaction looks rather petty it seems like a classic he said she said why did you laugh I didn't laugh Uh, you did laugh. Like with all the things going on in the world, why did God take that time to point out this thing in Sarah's life? Because I think what's going, or what we're seeing here is a beautiful and life-giving insight into how God in his grace calls us out on attitudes and behaviors that if left unchecked may leave us rather damaged. You see here, what God's issue is isn't Sarah's response to God's promise. The issue is that Sarah wasn't being honest about her gut response to God's promise, right? It was not her reaction that God had an issue with. It was the fact that she tried to cover up her reaction. So it wasn't her lack of faith, which is shown by her explosive laughter. The issue was that she wasn't herself in front of God. She was lying. She was lying to him. And so God, in his kindness and mercy, wanted to expose her brokenness and sadness so that he could heal her of it. What God calls us out on, he wants to call us out of. And there are many people this morning, myself included, who are terrified of being vulnerable in front of Almighty God. Like Sarah, we come to God with our lies because we're afraid of coming to God with our truth. It was a couple of weeks ago, uh, weekends ago, I went on a retreat with a bunch of other guys. And I knew when I was on that retreat that God wanted to do some work in my life. But I was reluctant. You see, ever since I was a young lad, I've not cried. And I've mentioned this a number of times at church, or I very rarely cry. And so, I, and so at the start of the retreat, I came to God with, with this request that I wanted to cry. 
and there was a session which was a guided meditation about the cross and it was it was a powerful interactive multi-sensory meditation it was it was amazing and yet i felt absolutely nothing and and yet we'd um shared we'd yeah shared in the lord's supper and the guy who was who was leading that session kept on saying he he did this especially for you he did this especially for you and so I, and so I and so I started praying through my prayer beads as I was sat there and I kept saying you did this especially for me you did it for me over and over again and so I'm sat quite far back in the crowd, away from the people and the cross. And then I look in front of me and I see this guy called Sean Haley. He's sat in front of me. He's, he runs Jericho Road or he helps run Jericho Road, which is a recovery community here in the city. And Sean's got this shirt on with a bunch of words on it, random words. It's not a spiritual shirt. It's not a Christian shirt. It's just a shirt with words all over it. And as I'm reading it, I see the words just about, which is upside down about halfway up his shirt i see the word just and then i see the words for you so i see the words yeah just for you and these words leapt off sean's shirt as if they were a message especially for me that jesus died on the cross especially for me that that he loved me so that was one thing, but that's not even the good bit because we then went into communion again and the guy giving me the communion said he was broken, especially for you. There it was again. And then I asked one of the leaders um, if they could pray for me because I've not really cried in a long, long time and I feel that it's something that God wants to heal me of and release me from. And so he anointed me with oil and he prayed for me. We then went into a teaching session and we had an open mic for people to share what God's doing in their lives. And so I got up and I told people of, of, you know, of this amazing sign from God with this shirt. And then I told them about how I can't cry, that if I do feel like crying, there's just this instinctive response that really chokes it down. Uh, there's this reflex like if someone's throwing a fist at you, you throw your hands up in front of your face. That's how I am when I cry. I just have to choke it down. I don't have a choice. And I'm really jealous of people who can cry. And so in that moment, as I'm sharing in the open mic session, all of the guys in front of me are super kind. And they're saying, you know, you can do it. You know, just you be you, you know, just let it go. All of that kind of thing. And that's where it ends. Anyway, after that sharing time, we sang a worship song, one that I've never sung. And as we were singing it, it's, this song's called I Speak Jesus. It's, and so it's on this YouTube video on the screen. And, and as I'm singing this song with my hands up, I start to shake. And I start to feel this internal trembling that I cannot stop. I have no control over it. And then I start to sob, and I don't know what that's like. It's a very new experience, but I know that it's the Lord. I, I, I know it's the Holy Spirit. He's there, and he's working on me. He's, so he called me out on a block that is in my life, which meant that I wasn't able to cry. And God called me out on this block because he wanted to call me out of it. And in that moment, 
I remember feeling something that I've never experienced before, or I have no living memory of it. One, I have one real tear rolling down my left cheek, and that whole feel of water running down my face on the one side, and then one on my right, and it's such a weird feeling. I don't know what that's like, and it's like, so that's how it feels. And it was so liberating that these two real tears made their way from my eyes all the way down to my beard. He did it, especially for me. And so, friends, God's relentless kindness means that he will call us out on the broken areas in our lives. Not because he wants to lord it over us or to embarrass us or because he wants us to feel ashamed. He does it because he wants us to be free. And our text tells us that Sarah was afraid. We aren't told what she was afraid of, maybe being caught in her lie or maybe not having enough faith or maybe God's promise not being true. Whatever the reason for her fear was, it caused her to lie. She felt that that lying was her best option in that moment. I did not laugh. And this raises, you know, the question of the fear of God because we, we are told that, you know, we should fear him. In Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, Fear the Lord your God, worship him, and take your oaths in his name. And yet, one of the repeated themes in Scripture is for us not to be afraid. So which is appropriate? Is it to fear God, or is it not to be afraid of him? Now, Pastor Ray Dirksen, uh, who's from Saskatchewan, he has some great thoughts on this. Here's how he explains it. He says, if you are afraid of God, you will run from him. And so he says, Adam ran and hid from God's presence because uh, of his sin. But if you have a fear of God, a healthy respect for him, you will run to him. And then he, he quotes from Exodus yeah, chapter 20. So it says, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near to where the thick darkness where God was. And so the people were afraid of God. They ran from him, but Moses had a fear of the Lord and he went nearer to him. And so the answer here, according to Pastor Ray, is that we are to fear God, but we're not to be afraid of him. And I think that this can maybe apply to Sarah, to fear God, to have a healthy respect for him and to run and to run um, nearer to him. But this was not Sarah's reality at this moment. She was afraid. She didn't have the fear of the Lord. She was afraid of him. And so she responded accordingly. And so if this is the case, if she was afraid of God, why didn't God just leave her in this little white lie? Why did he make such a big deal about it? Why did he sound rather petty? No, you did laugh. And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know why God didn't just let this one slide, but I do have a couple of suspicions why, and I think it has something to do with Sarah's future joy. Because it seems to me that God knew that not challenging her on her lie that she didn't laugh would have robbed her of her future joy. And so God called Sarah out first, number one, so that later she would recount God's faithfulness when she found out that she was actually pregnant. You know, do you think that when she found out that she was with child, that she might remember God's words? And wouldn't this increase her trust in his faithfulness? So that's one reason why I think God called her out. And the second reason why God called her out, maybe, is so that she could not later rewrite history and said, well, I always believed. You know, you ever met those men or women who kind of rewrite history and say, well, I always thought that that's 
what would happen. I have, and I don't have a lot of respect for people who rewrite history. And so, and so he didn't want her to, to rewrite history. He wanted this to be a teachable moment uh, that she could learn that even she, with all her 90 years of experience, that she could be wrong. He didn't want her to rewrite history and to position herself as a great woman of faith. This is an exhausting reality to live up to. So that's the second reason. So she couldn't rewrite history. And the third one is that she could mark her growth as she, as she continued in him. Okay, this is kind of an extension of the first two, uh, because if we're not honest about where we are right now, then later on when we actually grow in our faith, we've got nothing to compare it to. It's that kid who stands on a phone book to mark their height you know, on the wall. Sure, it might look really impressive you know, the first time round. Ooh, look, honey, you're four inches taller than I thought you were. But the next time you actually have to get rid of the phone book and be honest and actually lose height, or you need to keep up the charade and always measure yourself with a phone book for the rest of your life, right? There's freedom and relief in being honest so that you can mark your growth. You know, just this week I was down in the furnace room and I was praying. And as I was praying in the furnace room in the basement here at the church, it's actually a really great place to pray. You know, you know the lights are off, I've got, and it's just me and the Lord, and as I'm, as I'm praying the morning office, I read, no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk with integrity. No, okay, which is a wonderful verse. No, no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk with integrity. And during my prayer time on my prayer bracelet, I prayed that maybe 21 times over and over again, just meditating on it. And as I prayed, I found myself entering into battle. Because God brought to something, or God brought something into my mind that I was not walking in integrity with him in. And I didn't want him to bring it to mind. I just wanted to pray my prayer bracelet and to carry on. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit would not leave me alone. And maybe by, by, by bead 14 on my prayer bracelet, I'd reached a place of settlement in my heart that I would do what God was asking me to. And I still didn't like it, but I'd accepted it. And then that acceptance or that acquiescence actually became a choice. And I said, Lord, I will do it. And a joy moved into my heart as I vowed that I would do what God was asking me to do. And so as soon as I was done my prayer, I left the furnace room and I did what God was asking me to do. What God calls us out on, he wants to call us out of. And I felt relief and I felt freedom. There is a cost when we come clean. There's a real cost. It's hard. It's a knock to our pride, which can particularly affect men on Father's Day, right? You know, we don't like to be shown that we aren't all that or that we're wrong. There is a cost when we come clean, but there is a greater cost when we choose to cover up. There is a cost to coming clean, but there is a greater cost if we cover up. This uh, series is called God's is is called God's God's creative connection. And in this passage in Genesis 18, we see God's creative way in connecting the hurt of a barren woman with the healing that only he can bring. And Sarah's road to to healing started with God not letting her off lightly, with God calling her out on her lie. He could handle her doubt. He could handle her 
lack of faith because at least there he has something to work with but there's very little that God can do with someone who's lying to him or to others or more importantly lying to themselves and so God's been calling me out on ways that I try to present myself in in ways that I am not you know just over the past couple of weeks as I mentioned that God's called me into the freedom of actually crying and God's God's called me into the freedom of walking with integrity And I know that my journey is far from over, but God is good, he's faithful, and he's kind in exposing our lies, and his kindness is relentless. Next week, we are going to carry on with another chapter of Sarah and Abraham's story, but as we wrap up here, let me ask you a couple of questions. Firstly, what is God calling you out on? What is it that in your life that maybe God is poking away at, that he's convicting you on, that he's challenging you over? What attitude or maybe action is the Holy Spirit exposing in your life? For Sarah, it was using lying as a way to cope. And I wonder what it is for you. Might it be that you misunderstand God's motivation in exposing your sin or your brokenness? That it's not to prove you wrong or to embarrass you or to highlight what a dirty, rotten sinner you are, but it's so that you are free to access his grace and his love. He was creative in connecting Sarah with his grace. It took three strangers coming to their encampment at the Oaks of Mamre. And the strangers hearing her laugh through the wall of the tent. And God is equally creative in bringing you to the experience of his grace. And so as we sing this last song, my question is this. Why not come clean? If God is calling you out on something, it's because he wants to call you out from it or of it. He's ready to lead you to freedom and to liberty as you are honest with him.